Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to May's Outside the Box. Do you remember May 2019? Feels a long time ago now, doesn't it? Mm. 29... No, sorry, you've lost me. Because it was arguably the best month ever on television. I don't know if May 2020 is going to live up to it, given what I've seen. But, you know, the world's on fire, so (laughs) we take our fun where we can, right? Yeah, what happened in 2019, May 2019, remind me. What was Everything. on in May 2019? Oh, just loads All of, of really great stuff. Chernobyl, Deadwood, Ghosts, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, God, stop. You're making Gentleman me feel Jack, sad. <laughs> The Virtues. It was great. I watched The Virtues recently. Did you? It's amazing, isn't it? I did, yeah. But by the way, uh, this is Hannah, and I am joined by Jen. Hello. And Mick. Hi. That was a very subdued, Mick. We're in the middle of a global pandemic, Jen. It feels wrong to bring out any gratuitous references to music I don't understand. Fair play. <laughs> Fair enough. What did you make of The Virtues, Jen? I liked it. I thought it was very good. I wondered if... I didn't bother to Google it, but um, I wondered if a lot of it was improvised, like not fully scripted. That tends to be the way, doesn't it? Because it seems so, like, naturalistic. I mean, I think Shay Meadows does... If he doesn't do improvisation on set, I think he certainly does that rehearsal thing where actors are allowed to come to the character themselves. That Mike Lee kind of way of operating. Yeah, yeah. It was very, very, very natural, I thought. So I was kind of like, oh, I wonder if they... I mean, it did have children on set. And I think sometimes that's the easiest way to work with children is to try and be as normal and least formal as possible. Because those kids were great in The Virtues really good yeah they were yeah yeah that relationship between Stephen graham and the woman who plays his sister is just astonishing it's so beautifully drawn and poignant okay let's talk about what's on now well let's start with some news and again it's quite depressing news when it comes to what's coming up on tv because april the 19th was supposed to be the start of fargo series four which Mickey's seen the other ones. It, uh-huh. It's an anthology series. And this one was going to be set in 1950s Kansas, following some African-Americans who have left the Jim Crow South, moved to Kansas and find themselves wrapped up in the Kansas City Mafia. Probably got the best-looking cast list. I don't mean best-looking, although that said, possibly the best-looking cast list <laughs> I've seen for Fargo. Chris Rock, Jesse Buckley, Jack Houston. Jason Schwartzman, Timothy Oliphant. I mean, great. That looks really great. And I had assumed, because it had a start date, that it would continue as normal. But they haven't finished recording it. As so often happens with network television, they release the first one while they're still recording the last ones, which means that they can release four or five episodes, but then it would have to stop. So they put the whole thing on hold. So that's almost everything that I was looking forward to now wiped from the slate. I've got to say, I... I didn't know there was going to be a fourth series. So in a way, you have given me some good news. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's look at it that way. But yes, there's a lot of stuff on at the minute. There's some stuff that I haven't watched, which everybody else appears to watch. But just to, if you aren't aware of this, Killing Eve season three is now on the iPlayer. Killing Eve, the first one didn't do it for me. And that is apparently the best one. So you weren't a great fan of Killing Eve either, were you, Jen? 
too gory for me and I, I didn't really get enough out of it to withstand the gore basically also on Sky is a series called Run starring Merrick Weaver who I absolutely adore as you know and Domhnall Gleeson mm-hmm. written by Vicky Jones and executive produced by Phoebe Wallabridge who Vicky Jones worked on Fleabag with now it takes quite a lot for me to not watch something with Merritt Weaver in, but I'm actually going to make a point here and say I'm not going to watch Run. And that's almost entirely based on an interview that Vicky Jones gave with The Guardian in which she claimed that until Fleabag, feminism hadn't had a leader. And I don't know whether that's arrogance. Um, I, I, dis- I disagree with her. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. I-, I don't know if it's arrogance or it's ignorance that's made her say that, but I am not going to endorse or watch the work of a woman who denigrates the work of other women by making statements like that so yes for people who keep sending me messages saying you should watch run i have no interest i like fleabag i am one of the people that really 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 enjoyed it but i just i don't really understand that to be honest yeah quite (laughs) yes jen agreed Um, moving on there's been this second series of Afterlife has gone on to Netflix only a couple of days ago and I'm going to be totally honest with you I wasn't that into the first series of Afterlife so I probably won't watch that either God I sound miserable this week don't I I'm not going to watch that um, Mickey have you watched it yeah I haven't watched it yet but it's definitely on my future hit list but you know now that I am cohabiting and we tend to watch telly together then Gary hasn't seen the first series so at some point hopefully he'll watch that and then we can watch the second series together because although it was flawed in the same way that so much of Ricky Gervais's output is flawed uh, I really enjoyed some of the performances in there specifically Roisin Conaty and Penelope Wilson who I thought were both absolutely cracking in series one so I will watch it I will watch it I thought Penelope Wilson was great in the first one but it's not enough to to bring me back i mean also it sets my teeth on edge slightly because i just can't bear its representation of local newspapers it, you know when you kind of you, you you have to suspend disbelief obviously but then you start suspending disbelief about everything and then it loses its grit because this isn't this is supposed to be something that's heartfelt and true and yet in parts it's totally ridiculous and then the main character's career is they're a synchronized swimmer and then it's all it's all over which brings me to the the last thing on my list that is what i would describe as currently quite popular normal people bbc3 based on a book by sally rooney an irish and uk co-production initially thought do i have any interest in watching a drama series about young love on bbc3 no i don't i then read a number of absolute rave reviews which doesn't always make me want to watch something more, to be honest. I tend to trust certain people with what they say about it. And then certain people I trust started saying to me, you should watch it. So I've managed to watch two, which I don't feel is enough to give a firm opinion of it. So maybe we might do it next month instead. But what I will say, I was really, really pleasantly surprised. It was not at all the kind of teenage angst and melodrama that I thought it would be. It's quite quiet. It's quite controlled. It's beautifully shot. 
I'm not sure where it's set. I'm guessing somewhere on the World Atlantic Way, maybe Cork from some of the accents, but I don't know. Presumably going to have some lovely scenery in it as well. Um, yeah, I like it. Has anybody else managed? Yeah, again, it's another one on my future to see list, but I've wanted to read the book for ages and I've recently discovered that a friend that I can do social distance sort of swapping of stuff with has the book. So yeah, she's going to drive by my window and throw it in, hopefully. And then I uh, will watch the series because I, like you, have heard loads and loads of rave reviews from people I trust, including now one from Hannah. So that, you know, it's up to, it's up to my interest some more. Well, I mean, it, it may all go downhill from there, which is why I'm reluctant to say too much about it. Only two episodes in. But uh, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. And they're half an hour episodes, which I was also surprised by. But then it's BBC Three, so maybe it's a different audience and maybe there's something about the concentration span or maybe there's something to do about the way the story breaks up more naturally. That half hour episodes seemed preferable to one hour episodes. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Peggy, can you get off my notebook? I thank you. So let's talk about something we all have watched, which was a while ago now, but all of us watched Quiz. Am I right? Yes. I think it was perfect for now. And by now, I mean Lockdown UK as a series. I think had it been on at any other point, I don't know if I would have engaged with it. It was very much built for Twitter. It gave this, when I talked to Lucy Porter and Jenny Ryan, I said it kind of gave a vision of what Twitter would have been like had it existed when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was in its prime on television. It did feel like something everybody was very engaged with. I think it had some nice performances. Uh, Mickey and I were talking about this the other day about Matthew McFadden. I said that I thought he, of course, played Major Charles Ingram. And I said I thought that his career had improved when he'd stopped playing the romantic lead and started playing a twat. And you said he hasn't started playing twats, he started playing weak men. And I think that is the perfect example of what McFadden does really, really well because Tom in succession is just... Just weep. Next up is obviously Michael Sheen, who I initially thought, oh God, this feels like really stunt casting. But after a while, I've stuck. He was playing Chris Tarrant, obviously. I assume everybody in the world has seen this. But now I think about it, I don't know who else could have played him. It seemed like the only option was to get Michael Sheen in. But it's definitely not my favourite Michael Sheen. My favourite will always be Brian Clough, followed by Kenneth Williams. So this is like maybe five or six in the impersonations what? list of who he's done. You don't prefer... I thought you, I was absolutely sure in your top three it was going to be King of Vampires in Twilight, Hannah. Yeah, that's not an impersonation of someone. Maybe it is. <laughs> wow. He's very method. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. What did you make of Quiz, Jen? I really enjoyed it. I have to say, over the three episodes, it got a bit less interesting with each episode, which is not great but overall I really enjoyed it I really liked the first episode I thought it was hilarious I thought that the portrayal of them as these kind of hapless idiots who sort of stumbled into this weird situation I really enjoyed it I I thought that was really good I thought it was really funny I really liked the way they portrayed all of the TV execs like the guy with the bizarre tan oh my god what colour is that what, what varnish strange. did he use? Tan, especially given that obviously it was, you know, it was shown on ITV. It was an ITV 
production, I guess, or partly an ITV production and you know some of the personnel involved were ITV staff or whatever I thought it was quite knowing of the sort of TV industry and the way TV execs behave and things like that I thought it was quite tongue-in-cheek in that sense which I enjoyed I thought it was interesting we talked about this before didn't we about how the outcome of the trial that ensued was kind of portrayed that you thought that it had basically come to the conclusion that they weren't guilty i think the drama did suggest that they weren't guilty because there were bits where he said to her did you do this and there were moments that we saw that they were together which led you to believe that 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 conversation happened and if that conversation happened then it wouldn't have happened if they'd both been in it so i think if anything it suggested maybe that she had something to do with it and he didn't. Or that both of them were innocent. I don't know. That's the impression I got, personally. It certainly... I think it certainly did imply that she was steering the ship, as it were, and he was maybe less willing to be involved than she was. Because, obviously, it was all about, like, her brother and, and him... Like, they had to sort of help him out financially and she was sort of doing all this for him and whatever. Mm. Whoever played her brother was amazing. He was great. Genuinely. Yeah. He was so awful that he made my teeth sweat. He was just... <laughs> made me want to claw at my face. He was so awful. And by awful, I mean doing a good job of being a terrible human being. I thought he was great. I really enjoyed his character as well and all the little kind of... I found it quite eye-opening as well because I didn't know anything about any of that. I don't know if people did. I don't know if anyone paid attention to the trial when it happened. I certainly didn't. Oh, yeah, didn't. it was huge. Yeah, yeah. It was huge. I didn't know anything about it, so I feel like I learned quite a lot as well because I didn't realise there'd been this whole like ring of fraudsters kind of involved in the syndicate yeah and i just thought it was all i I just found the whole thing like really entertaining it's so silly isn't it quiz extremists yeah exactly it's just like it's just such a fascinating little world i would love to know more about the syndicate frankly yeah but definitely not go for a pint with them no probably not twice in my life i've won a pub quiz and been accused of cheating by people who all go there every week and always win the pub quiz. And therefore, they can't possibly imagine that anyone could actually know more than them. So they've accused us of cheating. And I would imagine that that's who those people are. I would imagine some of those people are in that syndicate. Okay, moving on. The A word is back on... Austerity? No. (laughs) (laughs) On... BBC One, I think, or BBC Two. It's certainly on the iPlayer, which was a pleasant surprise. I was under the impression, like you said with Fargo, that it was done because there'd been a very long gap and it seemed to end in a place where it would end naturally. Not it's back for a, a new series. The A Word is about a family raising a son with autism. Morgan Christie and Lee Ingleby, Greg McHugh, Christopher Eccleston, uh, it's written by Peter Boker. I like it. It's set in the Lake District. It's got lovely northern, refreshingly blunt vibe about it, much like Sally Wainwright's work has. And I've only seen the opening episode of this, but all six are now up on the iPlayer. The opening episode is entirely about Christopher Eccleston's character, Morris. It's an interesting role for him because, as you know, I absolutely love him. He's playing a guy who's got to be a good 10 years older than Eccleston actually is himself which is unusual because you usually get people playing much younger people and also it's comedy which is something that I didn't realise until I watched the A word Eccleston could do and he is brilliant 
this is actually some of the best I've ever seen him be. Morgan Christie is always great in this. I think she's a really interesting female character. She's a mum who is so focused on getting what the best thing for her son is that she is completely unable to function in the rest of society because she's so prickly and so defensive. So she's a good character, but she's really hard to like, which I find interesting. Women have many different sides to them. It's interesting no. that that has come after Fleabag, though, isn't it? Because I think before <laughs> <Yeah>. Fleabag, <laughs> this character probably couldn't have existed. Yeah, quite. And speaking of people switching between comedy and drama, which I don't think people get how genuinely difficult that is to do. How many great drama actors fuck up comedy and how many comedians cannot do serious drama. But somebody else who stepped between the two is Nick Offerman. So let's talk about Devs, which I know that Mick has watched. Eight-part series for FX, which does periodically throw out something good. Written by Alex Garland, who obviously started off as a novelist at the beach, now moved very much towards sci-fi. This is, I believe it's called a techno-thriller, but definitely in the sci-fi realm, about a young woman who gets caught up in a mystery, let's say that, involving a billionaire tech guy and what is going on in a quite secretive department in the company that she works for. And I have to say 100% I would not have touched this with a barge pole were it not for the absolutely genius casting of Nick Offerman in the lead role. If you don't know who Nick Offerman is, he's probably most famous for Parks and Rec. It's Ron Swanson, people. Ron Swanson. Ron, Ron Swanson. And what makes him perfect for this is there is something simultaneously in Nick Offerman that he seems especially avuncular and like someone you might want to give a hug to there's something really sort of wholesome and charming about him but at the same point there's something quite seedy and scary about him and this role requires both if I was in trouble in my house he is both the face I would want to see out my, outside my window and the face I would not want to see outside yeah, my window yeah exactly that exactly that you know that he would be able to fix the flood but then you also know he'd probably invite you to a sex party yeah it's really hard to stay six feet away at a sex party so no (laughs) i'm not interested he is brilliantly creepy in devs he is so still he's just so still so what did you make of it i am interested before i answer to find out whether you liked it or not i don't know is the answer i'm gonna be entirely (laughs) honest i don't know there were bits of it i really enjoyed and my friend Liz Carr is in it, albeit briefly. Liz is great in it. She, she was great in it. I think Alison Pill is doing a great job. I don't know if I enjoy what the job she's doing is because she's playing sort of this ice maiden type. She's his number two. Or is she? It was utterly devoid of emotion, despite the fact that it was describing some quite emotional things, which made it quite static. Maybe that's the point. Maybe because it's sci-fi, people maybe who are involved in that stuff aren't driven so much by emotions. They're driven by ruthless logic, but it doesn't necessarily make it pleasant or entertaining viewing. I found the golden aesthetic quite painful on my eyes sometimes. (laughs) Every time they were in that cube, I didn't like it. I didn't like looking at it. So I don't know, to be honest. I'm undecided. Did you like it? It's a a no from me. So the the themes are like, so we're in this sort of Silicon Valley world that actually isn't too far removed from our own. So it's terrifyingly possible before it goes into its realms of sort of Star Trek sci-fi. And the idea is that Nick Offerman's character of Forrest believes that we're all on tram lines. Everything is predetermined. There's no such thing as free will. They've made a machine 
that does or possibly does not prove this. No one knows. And it kind of made me feel stupid while I was watching it, which, you know, is fine. I hold my hands up. This isn't usually my bag at all. I'm no tech whiz. But then it turned out that actually I wasn't stupid. I had understood what was happening. It's just really slowly paced and takes this pleasure in trying to confound you. And though while I say takes pleasure, I agree with you, Hannah, in that it's so, it's emotionless. And I think for me, the crux of me not enjoying this is I just did not think, I think it's Sonoya Mizuno, who plays the central character of Lily, is a very good actor. She's really flat. I would I would say that, but then also it's worth mentioning that she can only do what the director tells her to do. And if the director tells her to do it like she's a robot, then that's how she's going to do it. But that certainly, whether it was her acting or his decision, and it was directed by Garland as well, whether yeah. it was her acting or his decision, I didn't like the end result. Yeah, I felt like she had about as much energy and oomph for this as I did watching it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. Apparently, he's going to make something else with exactly the same cast, which is Great. interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you'll both uh, be tuning uh, in then. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to see Liz is getting some more work. But apart from that, I, yeah, I wouldn't rush to watch it again. It was worth watching for me for, for the point of view of I just liked seeing Offerman do that. Because, as you know, a big fan of Ron Swanson. You are and Ron also, Swanson. That's why. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got a stockpile and everything. welcome back so i'm going to be quiet for a while and ask mickey and jen what they have been watching let's start with you jen i have been watching a documentary series on netflix called the last dance which is about the chicago bulls you can't see mickey but she's just done a little slam dunk from her corner of the screen (laughs) sure Um, did it is about the Chicago Bulls pursuit for an historic see now I'm in trouble I think sixth NBA title they had a mega mega famous team in the 80s and 90s obviously big Michael Jordan who genuinely is quite big but not that big for a basketball player it transpires anyway he's the main guy they gave access to a film crew and this was when they were sort of all starting to unravel basically so they'd won all of these titles and they were going after their historic title guy who's coached them through all these series he's been told he's going to leave at the end of the season and Michael Jordan saying well maybe I'm not going to stay maybe I'm going to retire I don't want to play for anyone else and it's got some like real characters on the team so obviously Michael Jordan is the most famous and then there's Dennis Rodman don't know if you remember him Mm, yes friend of Kim Young Eel. Yes, I think he is. It's really interesting. I mean, so it was recommended to me by someone. I don't know loads about basketball, to be honest. It's not like my sport of choice. Obviously, it's not as big here as it was there, or rather Very as it squeaky. is in America. It is quite squeaky. Yeah, there's a I, lot of. I, uh, I can't watch it because it's so squeaky. Plimsolls on the floor yeah. kind of situation, although not really plimsolls, sort of like really, really expensive shoes that are mm. worth billions of pounds in contract deals. But anyway, so I believe it's been made by the same team as the people that made the OJ Simpson documentary, which is, of course, as we all know, probably the best documentary ever. Uh-huh. I don't think it has the same kind of universal appeal 
as that does i don't know if you could say it was universal probably there's a lot of people who wouldn't be interested in that but a lot of people would be who have no interest in the nfl or sport even because it covers a lot of other things as well i don't think this has as much appeal if you're not interested in sport personally i don't think you have to be interested in basketball necessarily i thought the general rule was no sports stuff's about sport anyway it's all just sport as an analogy for life, generally. Well, I mean, it depends. If you think, as I do, that sport is just a microcosm of the rest of the world and you see the same issues in sport that you see in the rest of the world, then yes, undoubtedly, of course. I think it is a bit more sport-centric than the O.J. Simpson documentary, for example. I mean, well, that had a murder in it as well. Yeah. And a cr- yeah. that was criminal I mean, trial. This does cover a lot of things... At the point of recording, there's six episodes available on Netflix at the moment, and I think they're releasing two every week until they get to the end of it. I think there may be a ten in total. I'm in episode five, I've just finished that, and episode five I was kind of like, okay, right, there's quite a lot of stuff here that is more like societal. For example, about his mega deal with Nike. Air Jordans. Yeah, exactly, which came about when he was still a rookie, it sort of does get into that about how sport and culture became like intertwined and how, you know, the, the sort of coolness of sport and how that all came about. And I do think it is interesting, but it has taken like a bit longer, perhaps if you didn't, if you weren't that fussed about sport, it would probably take you a bit longer to get into. Yeah. Cool. Mick, you've been on Netflix as well, I believe. I have. I watched a four part Netflix miniseries called Unorthodox. And this is adapted from Deborah Feldman's 2012 memoir, Unorthodox, colon, The Scandalous Rejection of My Hasidic Roots. So Feldman was raised in the Satmar sect of Williamsburg, which is Hasidic Jews, but a certain sect of Hasidic Jews. And she escaped an arranged marriage at the age of 19 while pregnant with her first child and eventually resettled in Germany. And the writers on Unorthodox have stuck pretty rigidly to to the first part of Feldman's life in the Satmar community with a character called Etsy uh, and also like the details of Etsy's escape. But they've they've changed her story once she leaves the community and what she does once she gets to, to Germany, she goes to Berlin. So Etsy, played by Shira Haas, who is this tiny, looks like a child woman but has this spine of steel. She's absolutely mesmerising from like the mo- the first moment she's on screen. She she is what made me want to keep watching. Um, she winds up in Berlin with a bunch of music students to find herself and to rediscover who she could be with freedom and without this community being very oppressive. Um, it's not plain sailing, obviously. Her husband, Yankee, and his thug cousin, Moisha, the community's bad penny, who, incidentally looks like an evil Paul Rudd and I was very much there for that I was like oh here he is yeah. evil Paul Rudd I quite liked him uh, an actor called Jeff w- Wilbush I think Jeff Wilbush um, they're sent by the rabbi to bring Etsy back not really for her but because she is pregnant with Yankee's baby and the Satmar community is all about replacing the six million Jews killed in the Holocaust so they're very much about like breeding that is what the women are there for, breeding. And it's it's a fairly classic tale of rebellion and freedom mixed in with her whole stranger in a new world 
adventures because they are adventures it is a little bit it is a little bit scooby-doo gang once she hits her friends in berlin there is an aspect of them like tearing around going to places she's learning things about herself they're having dinner Ooh, wine that kind of thing but that central performance from shira haas is incredible and i absolutely recommend it we tore through it in a night it was brilliant it's like a, a big film Great. Oh, also, it's worth noting that the scenes of Unorthodox that take place in Williamsburg are mostly performed in Yiddish, which I think is a first for a Netflix series, possibly for a TV series. So they're they're talking in Yiddish. It did make me wonder how this has gone down in Hasidic communities, because there is... I don't think they have Netflix. Maybe, but there's not very much that's positive there. The makers definitely spoke to people from those communities, and obviously... Feldman is very much involved in the whole project as well, herself. There's a really good, there is a really good documentary, I can't remember what it's called, on Netflix about being gay in Hasidic communities. Ooh, interesting. And about a couple of women who left arranged marriages in order to be gay. One of whom had to leave her children and was involved in quite a long protracted court case to get access to her children. This is touched on in Unorthodox, actually. Is it? I wish I could remember what that was called. But yeah, it was really good. Awful. Just absolutely awful that you think in the developed world, there are still women living under different rules than we are living under, which is horrific. Yeah, Yeah. it's fascinating because obviously we probably know a little bit about it and I've kind of read around stuff like that. I had to do RE at school. It was something we had to do. So and my brother was an RE teacher for a long time. I don't know whether it's fair. I don't know whether it's a fair representation, but it's her representation. And it's well worth watching. They do a little the making of Unorthodox as well. And I think that gave me a lot more information. And it was sort of reassuring to see how well they'd researched it and spoken to people who were within that community. But yeah, if they do get Netflix, I'd be interested to know what they make of it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've got a couple of recommendations of hidden gems that people might want to tuck into. One which was so hidden, it was hidden even from me. No. Which, I know, which I did recommend that both of you watch, and I'm not sure if either of you have, which is Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus, which is on Sky. And it's from 2018. I think first series, twenty, maybe 2017, second series, 2018. It's definitely been knocking around for a long time. I didn't even know it existed. And it popped up uh, that it's gone on to catch Hang up. Hang on, though, on Hannah. Sky. Mike Judge follows you on Twitter. He why does, yeah. You, I'm, I'm, like, why he didn't... Wasn't he DMing you about this? I don't know. I don't know. This sounds like we're taking the piss. Mike Judge does actually follow me on Twitter. Very exciting. It's a half hour animated series narrated by Judge himself. He kind of explains in the very first episode why he did it. And he said he was interested in, he kept saying stories about rap and violence. And he was really disappointed to see rap being represented as the only form of music in which violence congregates, when in Mm. fact country is one of the most violent musical genres there is. And he goes on to tell a series of stories about particular country artists as told through interviews with people who knew them, Sometimes it's their roadies, sometimes it's their backing band, sometimes it's their children and friends. And 
he animates those interviews and then he animates the stories that they tell in those interviews. You might wonder what the point of animation is. In the first series, I think the point of animation works really well is it's literally represented. So it's a drawing of, of what you see on screen. And therefore it has detail that you never, ever, ever see in that much detail in animation. And therefore you look at it and therefore the kind of tragic surroundings of some of these people becomes even more clear. Drug abuse and guns and, and, and all of that. The first series is quite sad. The second series is about drug taking in funk and it is amazing. Genuinely, the first series is good. The second series like absolutely fucking mental. It opens with... Now, have you guys watched this? No, no I, I, I really to. want okay. to though. Definitely want to. It opens with... Bootsy Collins or an animation of Bootsy Collins and where the animation works in this is everyone's really expressive and so their body language seems to become really important you notice their body language in a way that you wouldn't if it was a person I think Bootsy Collins telling a story about when he was on the road with George Clinton he said that they arrive in a hotel and they've been taking acid for two days and they get there and the manager says you need to go on stage and then he says the next minute I remember we were on stage he said and George was in the back of the room and he walked through the room completely naked and he jumped up onto the stage and we were playing. He said, and then the lights came up and there was nobody in that room. And then they cut to an interview with, with George Clinton and he goes, yeah, that happened a couple of times, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so fucking funny. It's brilliant. So, yes, watch that. It's a lovely a few images while you were talking just because I was like how how is this I've been meaning to investigate it since you mentioned it to us off air a couple of weeks ago and so I just pulled up an image and the animation of Rick James has sealed any deal as if there was a like I wasn't going to watch it anyway it's so lovely what's what's funny as well is that they're all obsessed by Prince in good and bad ways I think there's a lot of jealousy driving a lot of the conversations about Prince in this but they obviously he draws a lot of the stories they tell and in it apparently they're all really tall guys but Clinton and uh, Bootsy Collins and Rick James were all way over six foot um Prince is obviously tiny and they kind of amp that up a little bit in the animation and it's, it's just funny it, it it is really funny you will find it that's Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus they're half an hour long each and you will find them on Sky on Demand and the other thing that I wanted to mention is that The Americans has gone on to Amazon Prime. Now, I know a lot of people don't have Amazon Prime. In fact, we don't talk about it often because we don't have it. However, you know, you get a free trial and I can't think of a better time to use it than during this. And The Americans would be an excellent place to start. Six series in which two mild-mannered travel agents living in 1980s Washington are actually deep undercover KGB spies. They are played by Kerry Russell and Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese actually won an Emmy for this and it was well deserved, I would say. Now, this is FX and I would say it's the best thing that FX has ever made. It's written by a guy who used to be in the CIA and on one level, it's very, very straight up thriller and it's fun and it's got shagging and guns and car chases and all the things that people might want from like an entertaining bit of telly but it does function on a deeper level than that the guy who wrote it said it's not about spying at all it's about marriage having not been married i can't say whether i find that analogy good but 
I think from the point there of view There is a lot of, of guns and fast cars. And... <laughs> <laughs> but from the point of view of in a world where sex is about everything but intimacy, it does ask questions about intimacy. You can shag someone and it's just a part of your job and it doesn't mean anything. But something simple like telling someone your real name then becomes the most intimate thing you could do, even though you've already had sex with them. So okay, I think it yeah. poses some interesting questions. Great performances across the board. Got great people in it. Frank Langella, Alison Wright, character actress Margot Martindale. Um, <laughs> there's a massive gender flip in it. Elizabeth Jennings, who is Kerry Russell, is gung-ho. She flies off the handle. She's not very good with the kids. Matthew Reese is the nurturing one, the sensible one. And it's nice to see an actual very decent female anti-hero because they don't exist on television. And also worth saying that all of the Russians are played by either actual Russians or by second generation Russians. And they all speak entirely in Russian when they when they need to. And it is subtitled. There's none of that hackneyed accents. I don't know what you mean, well. Hannah. Um, so the americans all six series of the americans is on amazon prime so they would be my my suggestions for hidden gems if you haven't seen them okay so we will be back next month with other things normal people maybe afterlife if you want to talk to us about anything i am at that well not about anything i mean obviously about television i'm not interested in people's problems i got enough of my own at the minute um (laughs) Uh, if you're interested in talking about anything we've talked about or uh, want to recommend any TV series, I apart from Run, I am at that Dunleavy. Mickey is at Mixed Nuna. Jen is at Inspiragen. Until next time. Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box.